0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Clueless Capitalist, where we discover interesting startups, interview founders, and help you become less clueless with angel investing. My name is Razi. And
1: my name is Osman, and welcome to The Clueless Capitalist. Did
0: you know that the fashion industry is the second greatest polluter of fresh water in the world? 80 billion items of clothing are produced yearly, leaving 2.5 billion pounds of waste. And here to change that is Disney. Disney is a marketplace for the buying and selling of pre love accessories for women, helping them earn money, save money and protect the earth at the same time. We have the founder and CEO of Bisbee, Sarish, joining us for this episode. Hello Sarish, and welcome to this episode.
2: Hi guys. Thank you so much uh, for inviting me to share my story with you guys. And I, can, can, I can't wait to tell you all that we've done with Bisbee up till now and what we're planning in the future.
0: So the first thing we like to start with, right, Serish, is to find out a little bit about the origin story of the startup. So could you share with us how did you get started with uh, BisB
2: So uh, the origin story of Bisbee is actually very accidental. Uh, So what happened was uh, about two and a half years ago, I was uh, just scrolling through my Facebook page and I saw uh, this woman's post uh, in a Facebook group who had put up her wedding dress for sale. Now, this was very well-timed because this was right around the time that I was about to get married. And so I had my family throwing in like tons of money just for clothes uh, for my wedding. And so that idea made so much sense to me, you know, that I'd be saving more than like 70% of the cost of my dress so what i did was i opened up google and i started like searching for a platform where i could have a variety of pre-loved apparel you know housed under one platform but to my surprise there was none and that's primarily where the idea for bisbee stemmed from just to have a one platform access for women who are looking for fashionable pre-loved apparel um you know just uh at, at the click of a button
0: i think one of the things we always love in these series is whenever an entrepreneur or founder create something to solve a problem a personal problem that they have and those that the kind of startups really enjoy interviewing thank you for sharing the origin story i think now would be a good time for you to bring us to the pitch deck before we go into further questions perfect
2: In essence, Bisbee is basically a marketplace that we uh, built uh, to bridge the gap between fashion lovers by making their wardrobes virtual and accessible to each other. And by that, I mean that every household's wardrobe has excess clothes, right? And so our aim was to bring those clothes online and give uh, access to those clothes to women fashion lovers all across Pakistan. Our, our uh, growth up till now has been absolutely exciting by injecting a very small amount of money that we have up till now in marketing, we have seen a 550% year on year growth in terms of our revenue, 133% year on year average growth in terms of our users. Uh, and we're projecting to end this year at a GMB of uh, $210,000. And we're projecting to take our user base up to 20,000 users on the platform. So. Uh, to the most exciting part, I'm not discounting at all all of the hard work my team put in uh, to make Bizbee what it is today. But there have been external circumstances uh, during this time period that have really aided in our growth. Uh, number one, post-COVID, the second-hand market naturally blew up into a $62 billion industry, even surpassing the fast fashion market. And secondly, with the current economic crisis hitting Pakistan. We saw our highest quarter-on-quarter organic growth of 108%, making us realize that a circular economy has become more in need of the time than just a luxury. So we understood that the time and opportunity was now, and we're absolutely ready to take it heads on. Taking you to the core of the problem that we're actually looking to solve, women uh, on average in Pakistan right now are spending more than $1,000 annually on clothing and 50% of these clothes are rendered absolutely useless only after consuming them twice. So taking this particular problem, what we've done is we've built a pioneering e-commerce platform in Pakistan where these women can buy and sell the used clothes and accessories, helping them earn money, save money, and most importantly, protect the earth one dress at a time by promoting sustainable fashion. So, let me quickly take you through uh, the journey of a user when they come on board with Bisbee. From a seller perspective, all they have to do is list the product on our platform after downloading our app and uh, they can list as many products as they want absolutely free of cost. Once their product is sold, we get it shipped to our warehouse in Islamabad where it uh, runs through a quick quality check uh, and then it is packaged in our branding and then shipped to the end buyer. And then we pay back the money to the seller online after keeping our 20% commission. So, Um, Now, taking you through some of the USPs that we've developed in the time that we've been in the market, which keeps our customers coming back to us. Number one, we are paying very high attention on quality assurance. Hence, we've added another uh, excess step in the entire process of the product uh, going from the seller to the buyer. And that is one reason why people have uh, immense amount of faith on the platform and keep on coming back to us. And secondly and most importantly in a market like Pakistan where secondhand fashion was something that was looked down upon a couple of years ago we have positioned the branding in a way that we highlight the fashion element and the sustainability element of the idea more than the value from any aspect of it. So the women once they buy from us feel good about themselves. Because fashion in essence for women is a way for them to feel confident and it's a way for women to express themselves and their own unique personality. So that's what we've kind of um, taken in into our branding. So talking a bit about our business model, we charge a 20% commission on each transaction from the seller and women have two days to earn more than $200,000 through our platform and 75% women who had registered as sellers became financially inclusive after joining the platform. Now these are women who did not have their own bank accounts and but as a prerequisite to be a part of the platform they did and then so we're looking to increase that number even further uh once we grow week. so to the most exciting part of the business our sam right now in pakistan is 20.5 million women uh, which makes this a 1 billion dollar absolutely untapped market of which we're aimed to target 200,000 users in the first 18 months now these are women Between the age of 17 to 39 living in urban areas, these are working women, university going women and the Instagram generation who cannot be seen in the same dress twice. Um, Our cap right now is a little below $2 and our lifetime value is $52 and our retention rate in terms of our buyers is as high as 68%. Now, uh, we've been able to achieve all of that through some growth hacks that we've unlocked in the time that we've been in the market. Number one, we've understood that we're mainly a community driven platform. So what we're doing now is we're working on adding features which would convert our current customers into our brand ambassadors. And secondly, we're using influencer marketing, especially partnering with lifestyle and fashion influencers to influence a shift in how secondhand apparel is perceived in Pakistan. So our end goal is to complete the Bisbee sustainability circle. So right now, 74% of women who register as buyers turn into our sellers and 58% of women who register as sellers turn into our buyers. So we're looking to uh, turn this percentage into 100% on both ends just to create stickiness on the platform and just to keep our customers coming back to us. So lastly I would like to introduce you to the powerhouse of a team that made all of this happen. I have more than 6 years of experience in digital marketing. I have I have been a part of uh, three startups all in varied industries. I've been a part of medtech startups, I've been a uh, part of gaming startup and then uh, before founding my own uh, business. Sumbul is my CTO. She has also been a part of multiple startups as a product lead. And uh, Asad is our lead operations. He has worked in the logistics sector for more than three years before joining Bizbee. And Mohammed Vaseem is a co-founder of Kodistan, uh, which is our tech and execution partner. And they've been in the market for well over eight years in Pakistan. So we're looking to raise an investment of $350,000 uh, to digitize 200,000 household wardrobes in Pakistan, holding the largest variety of pre-loved apparel in a single marketplace. Now we're going to use this money, Uh, 50% of this money would be injected into marketing, uh, particularly influencer marketing, social media, and referrals. Uh, 30% of this would go into uh, increasing our operational capacity and creating hubs in the most seller dense cities in Pakistan. And 20% would go into tech to building our custom solution on React. So We've closed uh, 30% of our round already at a valuation cap of $2.8 Uh, and we're looking to close our entire round in the next six weeks. So join in on the movement to make fashion sustainable again.
1: For me, uh, thanks for that whole pitch. Um, and so the whole uh, sustainable development goals, what, which ones are you trying to address with your startup? Uh, I think the non-conventional first question, but I'm curious to know.
2: So basically uh, responsible consumption is the one SDG that we're prim- primarily looking to target with, uh, with this, because yeah. basically what we're doing in essence is we're just optimizing how fashion is consumed on a, on a consumer level.
1: Yeah. Okay. So from the three, three elements of, of responsible consumption, reduce, reuse, and recycle, you're advocating the, the reuse component yeah. of that. Right. Absolutely. Right. Okay, the main questions I had about the operational aspect, uh, and we discussed this before, was really around the ability for you to scale. So could you just explain, first of all, for the audience, how you currently transact? How does that work? Well, what's the operational aspect? How does somebody put products onto your platform? How how does somebody select that product? What challenges are you able to overcome with your current model? And... Uh, and then we'll take it from there.
2: Awesome. Um, so, from um, I'll first walk everyone through the the seller aspect of the business. So, um, for the sellers, it is as easy as just taking pictures of their products and just making their own account on the platform and just listing them as many items as they want for free. Uh, So the buyer has access to the the website, and then they can see all of the listed products on the website and can place their order directly over there. Once an order is placed, um, we have a third party logistics partner with us. What they do is they get the dress picked from the seller's home. Uh, It is then first shipped to us. Uh, We run in a first in first out method, we run a quality check. And then in the same day, the product is then packaged and then delivered to the end buyer. Through the same uh, third party logistics partner, our uh, involvement in this entire process increases because we're getting the product picked from the seller's home as well. In a market like Pakistan, where as easily women cannot go out to the market to, you know, go to a DHL or go to uh, a logistics company and then, you know, just ship the product to us, it's harder for them to get out of their homes. So given that sitting at home, we're getting the product picked from them is a big plus for a lot of our sellers. And this, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, after like uh, talking to a lot of my sellers, so they always say that the convenience that we don't have to do anything and sitting at home, everything just happens. Uh, you know, all we have to do is list the product is a big convenience that uh, adds for them. And for the buyers, it's it's uh, the the face is just like an e-commerce platform with the added benefit that. Whatever product that they are getting is double checked before it gets shipped out to them.
1: Okay, I mean, and and this is something that we uh, we both me and Razi we we talked about in earlier episodes about not knowing the nuances of a particular geographic market. We would normally expect people to take it down to a post office and and put it in a yeah. package and send it off, yeah. and it wouldn't occur to us that this is. Um, something that you're creating, that you're doing to reduce the ba- barrier of entry for somebody selling products.
2: I, I, I'll share a fun fact with you. When I was, um, so there, there came a time when the logistics company had asked us to make sure that there, uh, whenever we create a pickup, there's like a, a receipt that they send us, right? And then so we had to print it and then put it on the package so the package doesn't get lost so the logistics company initially what our sellers used to do was they used to write the the cn number on uh, on a piece of paper with the details and then just stick it on the on the uh, whatever package they were sending Um, but the logistics company said that you have to ask all of your sellers to print it and then put it on uh, the package otherwise we won't get the products picked even that created so much friction for the sellers where when they like they they started calling us up that you know we cannot go out we'll have to ask my like someone to get it done for us and then you know it would create a lot of hassle for us and so we had to talk to the logistics company and say that you know please just manage for now and then we'll figure something out later. So, yeah, these problems are there, and then you have to, from from a business perspective, pivot given the 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 demographic that you're working under to make sure that the process is as frictionless as possible for for your customer.
1: Okay, um, in terms of the quality checks that you do, yeah, what does that consist of? What well, what exactly are you doing before you, um, first of all, before you receive a product? Uh, are you validating the picture and making sure that the, there aren't any noticeable problems on that before you take it or do you do the quality check only when it arrives in your warehouse
2: um so i'll be very honest it's very difficult to uh find any issues in a product in a picture and then obviously there will be some sellers who would definitely hide whatever issue there is and then just send the good parts of the... And it has happened to us, few, but it has. There are a lot of sellers, if there's a damaged piece or if there's a minor damage in the entire, you know, maybe shoe or or a bag or something, they would highlight it on the product page that, you know, the, and they would write it in the description as well but then you have all kinds of setters, right? Um, so, there is no way for us to validate it before it comes to us, but after it comes to us, the three things that we look at is no damage. So, we thoroughly check the piece in case of any sorts of damage, uh, may it be a shoe sure or address. Uh, secondly, color, making sure whatever description is mentioned in terms of color uh, of the product on the website that's there and it's not faded and then thirdly brand so whatever brand is mentioned uh just assuring that it is actually from that brand or you know if you know they're just lying so these are the three main checkpoints for us uh, to validate the quality and if that passes uh because we're dealing with mostly mid-tier brands so the the fact that it might be a fake brand is not an issue for us because the brands that we're dealing with do not have fake uh counterparts in the market um so but so these are the main three uh, things that we look at before we package it and then ship it out to the environment
1: right yeah and that was going to be my my main question and i think you've probably been asked this a few times how do you ensure yeah. that you're not dealing with uh, fake brands so if somebody said hey i've got like an armani jumper yeah. or i've got um you know a chanel bag yeah. you would refuse to listen
2: We do not list it. Even if we do, we have a disclaimer whereby we do not, we cannot validate whether it is uh, the real deal or not. In future, what we might do is we might, uh, the one thing that I've seen uh, Visture Collective do, uh, which is the biggest platform that deals only with luxury wear, is that they ask for receipts and that's how they basically validate. Right now, we're we're technically not even focused towards that uh, brand uh, layer. So we're mostly focused towards brands that are directed towards the masses and daily wear.
1: Okay, Uh, and that really makes sense. You you know, you've got a logistics firm to go pick up, um, they'll do all the the labeling, and it comes to your warehouse where you validate and you check. The reason why I'm interested in tech-enabled stocks is the ability to scale right you 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 spend a lot of time developing code and, and a platform and you can scale when the volumes increase your platform can scale and support that and you're not having to employ a, a huge raft of people to to follow that scale. absolutely so my question is is really if you've got this facility where you're taking products in and you're validating them There's a barrier here for scale. How are you going to overcome that? Let's say you're processing a million packages uh, a day, right? Um, How would you be able to handle that type of volume? It's a good problem to have.
2: Yeah. Uh, it actually is, yes. Uh, and uh, my answer to that is this problem has already arisen and it has already been dealt with uh, by other players in the market who are having like more, uh, much more than a million transactions. The way to handle that is that the sellers are always concentrated in particular cities, uh, naturally, um, because that's where the most buying power is, right? Uh, So what we're going to do is we're going to decentralize our operations and we're going to have decentralized hubs in different cities. So without having to have a warehouse which is huge and we have like a huge inventory cost associated with it, we're going to have these small hubs whereby every hub would only be responsible for managing the orders of that particular city. So that would a lessen and divide all of the volumes, and then b we can with the increase in volumes we can keep on increasing the team. We won't have to do it exponentially. We can you know keep on adding more people to handle the volumes. But because it's a first-in, first-out method, if we have that team in place and if we have those hubs in the same city in place, uh, managing it won't be an issue. And again, re-emphasizing on the fact that it's the problem has already arisen and it's already been handled. But some other things that we're also looking to implement is that. For example, uh, like once we uh, scale this big, what we can do is we can have um, uh, so there are a lot of our sellers who keep on coming back to us and they have like a hundred percent clean rate in terms of uh, sending products which are in mint condition. So we can start rating those sellers as star sellers and then they could directly ship out the products to the end buyers as well. So a big chunk of our most popular sellers could be handling most of the inventory themselves. Uh, and then shipping it out themselves. We would obviously provide the logistics uh, side of it, but we won't be then managing the quality assurance aspect of it. So there are a couple of things that we uh, that I have in mind when uh, scalability comes, but uh, it is definitely something that can very easily be handled. And that's the that's actually the the beauty of the model that I um, uh, developed for Bisbee is that, I studied all of the models in the world, Uh, I studied uh, why a particular model cannot be scalable because for example like ThreadUp has their own warehouse, right? Because of that, because they have a warehouse that halts their scalability into other geographics because then in that other place they would also have to have uh, a firstly a warehouse, secondly they would need uh, with that warehouse comes a huge cost which is why they have a very low seller payback. Uh, so g- like studying all of that, uh, I developed uh, this model for Bisbee, which is very lean and uh, scalable in the long
1: uh, the, the other question is really around the money transaction, right? And uh, put this into context, again, the fact that you know, we're based in Singapore and people typically will, you know, in Carousel, for example, you go and meet the person and you'll go and do the transaction yep. direct. Yep. Um, In other places, that often creates a security risk as well for the individual. They know that you've got cash, you know you're coming to buy something, you can get robbed on the way. The the question really is how the money transactions are done, uh, how long you hold on to the cash before you release it to the seller. Can you just walk us through the operational element of the financial transaction?
2: Sure. Basically, uh, when uh, the product is uh, delivered to the end buyer, it is uh, mainly in Pakistan where we're working in cash on delivery um, because that's the most uh, easy and most accepted mode of payment over there still. The payment then comes from the logistics company to us, and then after delivery, uh, two to three days later, we then transfer the money online to the seller now one other uh, aspect we'll be adding on in the next couple of months is that the sellers would be able to convert their money that they are going to in cash into credits as well so we'll give them incentives to convert that into credits so that the the cash remains within the company and then they would ev- eventually end up rebuying from the platform so it would be like a win-win situation for us um so these are a couple of things that we're looking to incorporate
0: right now
1: okay that's not
0: when I buy uh, something from the platform, right, as a buyer, or how soon the users of Bisbee expect to receive the goods that they have bought?
2: Uh, it, it takes approximately something around five to seven days.
0: Okay. And yeah. I want to hear about uh, competitors in, in Pakistan. Like, how does the competitive landscape look like for Bisbee?
2: So we have a range of competitors. We have Secret Stash, which is primarily dealing in uh, luxury wear. And luxury accessories actually more. Then we have uh, Khazane, that's primarily dealing with export leftovers. And then we have a Closet, which is basically a rental platform. It's it's rent the runway model for Pakistan, but it only deals with bridles and party wear. And in terms of Bisbee, we have these small uh, Instagram pages that have started popping up, especially in the past one year. So what I uh, I did with that was, so I started reaching out to the admins of those pages. And because when you register on Bisbee, when any seller registers on Bisbee, they have their own independent store on the website, right? So what we've done is that we've gotten those small pages to come on our platform because we have, uh, we have a very active audience so our turnover time is really low once a product product is listed on the website so what we've done is we've gotten those pages onboarded with us uh, so in this particular uh, where where bizbee is uh, facebook groups uh, are another competitor that we have uh, other than that yeah so these are the the small instagram pages that are there on the on instagram
0: okay so there's no no clear or, or similar player in this space so it seems that everybody is doing something doing something it's a completely different uh, area altogether and earlier, uh, while you were sharing some of the challenges in the models that you've seen globally, right, you mentioned thread up. so just for everyone who's watching, who, globally, who are some of the, not competitors, but some of the players that uh, you look up towards?
2: Uh, so, Vistere Collective. Actually, my model was is a blend of what Vistere Collective does and what ThreadUp does. So, Vistere Collective actually, even at this point where they have a huge volume of orders that they're handling, it's also after the product is uh, sold, it comes to them, they check it and then they send it out to the end buyer. And that's the model that they're actually taking as well. So Veshire Collective is a brand uh, that I really uh, look up to. Other than that, from, from a model perspective and from a branding perspective, there's Depop in US. So th- that is one layer that I, I love, how they've taken the entire concept
0: forward. Okay. So, and, and one thing I noticed like from our conversation earlier is you mentioned about, I think you also mentioned a company called Poshmark yeah yes. port- and what i found interesting about all of these was that they are listed companies yes,
2: yes absolutely yes. and then, yeah and then uh funnily enough okay so um when i talk to people over here so even like back in pakistan they really feel like this is an idea that cannot scale right but the good thing for me now is that i have tried and tested models globally that have been listed that have become unicorns in this particular space really validating my position in in the market in asia it's not been done yet which is a good thing for me but but globally yes these are listed companies ThreadUp is recently expanding into europe so the the scale is actually massive because fashion is like food uh, fashion for women, especially, um, they cannot live without it, and it's always a recurring thing. It's never a one-time buy, so the retention and everything is always very high in this.
0: I appreciate I appreciate the work that uh, those platforms are doing and what you are doing because if you read um, one of the things I I encountered being in the marketing and the e-commerce space is how there was this big phenomenon of people or influencers, you know buying uh, outfits taking a picture with it for the outfit of the day and then afterwards returning it and saying hey it didn't, it didn't fit me well you know because there are free returns and that was creating a lot of uh, waste a lot of uh, waste, wastage in terms of just moving the things around and wastage in terms of the product as well so Absolutely. that was a big problem and i think something that this we can definitely um, address Then the other big challenge was around uh, recycling and how fast fashion is difficult to recycle so clearly Um, what you're doing is going to impact um, SDG on climate action. So I appreciate it. But beyond some of the challenges that Osman raised around uh, the cash issue, around uh, scaling up when the volumes increase, what other potential risks do you see um, associated with this business in the market that you are operating in?
2: The biggest challenge that I still have, which we're still fighting through, is just the mindset shift that needs to come about. There is still resistance. Uh, as I was having a con- the conversation with you, there is still resistance of, like, for example, so if I would pitch the idea to someone, uh, they would say, "Okay, you know, we will sell, but we'll never buy a used uh, dress from the platform because, you know, it just goes against their." or uh, even if they do, they will never publicly say that they do, right? So just fighting through that uh, hesitance that is still there in the market is something that is, I feel like, one of the biggest challenges that I have right now. And I feel like a lot of it will get resolved over the next, I think, one to two years, given the global kind of a shift that is coming in this particular market. But it will take time. So I feel like that, if that one challenge is uh, resolved, I feel like it'll be a much, much smoother path for us to uh, to grow over the years.
1: Go, going back to your numbers regarding the customer acquisition cost of $2 and your lifetime value of 52 that's quite significant. Is the lifetime value the, the commission that you're making or is it the lifetime value of GMV?
2: Uh, this is the lifetime value of our GMV, yes, of the... Okay money
1: yeah okay and in terms so you're, you're taking 20% of that Yes. Um, and so it's around around ten dollars so for every every spend of two dollars you're making ten yes got it okay as uh, well it just wanted to clarify um, because sometimes we get focused on GMV and we forget
0: yeah.
1: what the actual take rate is for that yeah Okay, and when, you, when you're when you talking about your measurement of financial inclusivity for women, you're just saying, okay, b- because these women are now on the platform, they need an account, they need a bank account, right? So you're measuring how many of them actually tell you, I don't have a bank account, I need to go yeah. open, which is okay. a huge,
2: huge number, yeah.
1: Uh, just a quick question regarding that. W- was that your intent? To- no. No. Okay.
2: Not at all, no, actually, because uh, I, I'm, I'm very honest in this answer. Always it's not something that we intentionally did, but it was something that we, ha- we had to operationally do because we could not give cash back to every seller, you know, wherever they were. Um, so we kind of had to, and I initially thought that this would be a big cause of friction. To be very yeah. honest, and I was uh, so I, I honestly thought because a lot of the sellers that I was talking to, they said that I don't have a bank account. What do I do? And then I had to like we had to encourage them to you know open maybe a microfinance bank account like Easy Pesa, and uh, so a lot of them did because it's really easy now to open that in Pakistan. Uh, so it was all very unintentionally done, but uh, but it happened naturally.
1: Okay. And uh, uh, and the whole banking scenario in in Pakistan, and the the reasons why women don't have bank accounts, is there some kind of insight that you can give us regarding that?
2: Yeah. So there is no particular like uh, reason. It's just. A lot of women in Pakistan don't feel the need to have a bank account because they're, they're either like dads have like are, are the ones who are giving them money on a monthly basis, you know, just like cash or their husbands or the brother. So they never really feel the need to have or own their own personal bank account. And uh, I, I, I feel like because a lot of them aren't doing any transactions, again, they don't inherently feel for it. So that's primarily why. But uh, But yeah
1: okay uh i think this is something that razi would probably be more interested in 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 terms of you know the 50 percent of the raise that you you're going to be using for marketing well can you just go over again the the marketing types that you're really focusing on yes
2: the one uh area that i'd be injecting the most amount of money in will be influencer marketing the reason for that being that helps me in three regards actually a in strengthening my brand perception in the market because then you know i'm like the is the hot brand that all the big influencers are talking about uh yeah. secondly in terms of a return on investment whenever i have partnered with influencers i have seen an exponential growth in terms of my in not only my uh, sales but my inventory as well uh, there was one influencer that i partnered with And she, uh, in a matter of two days, earned more than six and a half lakh Pakistani rupees uh, through the platform. She sold about, I think, 120 dresses in a matter of 48 hours. Um, So always the returns are massive when we partner with these influencers. And uh, thirdly, uh, as I was talking, just fighting the perception that secondhand has in Pakistan, you know, so just making it the cool and trendy thing to do and secondly we would be injecting money into social media marketing which we're already doing where we've built the brand on digital we're planning to expand on digital and then um thirdly uh, we'd be also looking into uh, using referral marketing so we'd be uh, offering incentives to our buyers to convert into our sellers and vice versa to complete the sustainability circle that i was talking about to to increase our retention rate even so these are the three main areas that we're looking to inject heavily money in. And then influencer marketing is the most expensive part out of all three of these. So a major chunk of money would be going okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I look at the, the breakdown, right, it's like 50% of the 350,000 raise is going to be used on the marketing aspect, and when I look at the HR, HR was looking at more operations, scaling yeah. up the operations. Yeah. So I was wondering would Sorry. it also make sense to hire like an in-house marketing team within the operations or, and I I would think like for a business like this, the customer success would be something uh, that's really important. So you would be looking at uh, hiring more people in those areas, because the thing is, when you spend so much money on marketing, you're going to spend $175,000. And if the customer acquisition cost was $2, you'll be ideally acquiring 87,500 extra users, uh, which is a lot. You probably then have to struggle with uh, operations, customer complaints, and those are some of the aspects where maybe you should be considering to put the money. just want to hear your thoughts around that. Yeah.
2: No, absolutely. Uh, Because even with the current volumes, I feel like the major chunk of our employees are in customer service because a major chunk of the entire business is automated. Uh, There are only two areas where we need actual humans. One is operations and one is customer service. So eventually, whenever the team will grow, it will grow in these two areas. That's where I would need the most uh, manpower in. So I absolutely agree. And yes, uh, customer service, uh, but we're, we're also looking to actually uh, looking at solutions to automate a lot of the uh, the customer service as well, because eventually we can't have like, you know, 10,000 people or 5,000 people just looking at customer service again, just looking at the scalability of it. So we're looking to uh, find solutions to part automate the entire process of customer service. And obviously, then we'd be uh, looking to expand the team as well. Definitely.
0: Just to, since we were speaking about customer acquisition costs earlier, right? Um, yes. I was just curious to know why is the customer lifetime value only $50? Considering earlier you shared that, you know, um, women spend about a thousand dollars a year on clothes yes. and yes. assuming I look at ThredUP, ThredUP has been around since 2009. So let's say you stay with the platform for at least 10 years. Yes. I would assume that the customer lifetime value would be a lot longer. Maybe if someone stays for five years, $50 a year, yes. customer lifetime value should be $250 or even $500. Just curious as to know why customer lifetime value is so small.
2: I agree. Uh, so for now, uh, given that we our scale is not as massive as what ThreadUp is, the lifetime value increases once the amount of inventory on the website increases, right? So once we're going to have an inventory like what ThreadUp has on their platform, our each customer will have a larger variety of clothes to choose from, and then obviously their um, their entire order size and basket sizes would start increasing. So most definitely, once we start scaling, our lifetime value would be much much more than where it
0: is right. Now, for sure. Continuing on the numbers, right? So you mentioned that this B takes a twenty percent commission yes. on on the GMV, right? Yes. So for this year, the GMV you are you are projecting it to be two hundred thousand. For oh, two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars.
2: Yes, uh, we are projecting to close somewhere between two hundred twenty to two hundred fifty.
0: The two hundred fifty thousand. There be how much? that'll be fifty percent of that. How much did cost, percent of two hundred fifty. Twenty percent of two hundred fifty fifty
1: thousand, right? Fifty thousand, right?
0: So, what would you be doing, or what can you possibly do, like to increase? I believe you can't increase the commissions. That margin, twenty percent margin, probably has to remain. Uh, are you going to yeah. be looking to launch your own, um, I don't know, your own fashion brand within Bizbee, or how do you, how does a business like this? Is a clueless question. So how, like, how does a business like this um, make more money? Do you create your own fashion brand and say, hey, look, this is being sold alongside all of the pre uh, love items, or how, how does it work? Or do you enter more um, verticals beyond just pre love women's accessories and clothes?
2: Uh, so there are multiple answers to this question number one yes we will definitely be opening up the verticals more but uh, we stay within the umbrella of lifestyle and fashion so maybe opening up, um, opening it up to home accessories, home linens etc curtains uh, because they also have women don't know what to do you know to turn over their like change their curtains more often or you know because ha- they have to eventually every time buy new ones. Um, in terms of our um, uh, a, a second source of revenue that we're, look, we're we'd be opening in the next six months, actually, is that I talked about the fact that every seller that registers on the platform has their own store, right? Uh, so we'd be charging them extra, maybe like five percent, uh, to uh, list their stores on the homepage, because that would give them more uh, access to new customers, and obviously it would give them more mileage in terms of. Uh, Selling their items faster, so in uh, that is one other revenue stream that we're looking to open. A third one that we're actually looking uh, considering as well is that we can have uh, and a, a, a feature added in whereby we can partner with um, a dry cleaning partner and then the buyer would have the option to pay for example say 150 rupees or 200 more and then we could have a partnership like the logistics company with a dry cleaning company and offer that as a service as well so that would add another stream of revenue other than that uh, we're looking to open our b2b vertical as well so right now we're technically c2c right Uh, So we'd be partnering with big fashion brands and then, you know, uh, partnering with them in a way from a CSR perspective for them and for us from a business perspective, because then we'd be getting a huge amount of inventory turnover from these brands uh, going into our platform. I would never open up a brand under Bisbee. Like we'd never manufacture clothes because in essence it would ruin what we do, but there is... Uh, Something else that we're looking to introduce after one year because uh, that's a newer concept for Pakistan. Uh, Recycling is a new concept for Pakistan, so like moving beyond that, uh, there's a concept called upcycling which is basically reusing old piece of, like for example, I'm wearing this shirt, I'm bored of it. So what I can do is I can, you know, maybe change the color or upcycle it into something that's new. I can turn this into a bag or anything, right? So upcycling is a newer concept that's uh, that's very famous in the European market right now. So that is another vertical that I'm looking to introduce for which we can uh, charge a higher percentage eventually. And even charge the buyers a service fee just to get the product upcycled for them. So yeah, there are some things that we have by, uh, in the pipeline, which we uh, would use to expand um, before we go into newer markets.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's positive to hear because then there are so many other ways that you're going to be growing the revenue beyond just that twenty uh, yes. percent commission on the uh, on the GDP.
1: Absolutely. Just in terms of well, what does success look like for you? Um, where where do you hope to 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 get to, and and what does that look like?
2: For me, for like, if you talk about the next five years, my main aim uh, is to grow it into the biggest pre-loved uh, fashion marketplace in Asia. Because Asia, in entirety, this concept there are no players that are really big in in the entire market. So that is my main goal for the next five years, and maybe in the next ten years, grow uh, big enough that uh, a brand like Thread Up or uh, Poshmark would want to, we could exit by um, by having a brand like them uh, acquire us. So that is my end goal for this.
1: Right, got it. And uh, w- what's holding you back right now from achieving that goal? What's What's top of mind?
2: I've gone very slow and steady with Bisbee, to be very honest. I've uh, spent two years literally pivoting a million times just to figure out the perfect path for us to grow the business uh and i feel at this point in time the reason that i started to uh looking to fundraise was that 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 i've figured that path out for us now the only thing that is holding us back is the fuel to kind of like really hyper grow in the market so i don't want to grow at the same pace that i'm growing right now we really want to just inject capital and fuel ourselves enough that by the end of the year our name becomes synonymous with secondhand buying in pakistan just like for example, in, in Pakistan, when you when we take a cab, we don't say, you know, like call a taxi or a cab, we say call a cream or an Uber, just like in Singapore, we say call a Grab. So we want to become that fourth secondhand fashion in Pakistan.
1: Okay. And, and just to clarify for the audience as well, when you say hyper growth and you want to be the leading player, do you have a dollar value in mind in terms of revenue that would uh, that would say okay we've achieved that goal that was my goal that's where I wanted to get to
2: so I'd be very honest from a founder's perspective for me my always my in from get go my focus has always been on the number of users that I have I have never taken the discount route I've never taken a cash flow positive route that you know I'm going into losses and acquiring customers uh, but I do have a very high focus on on my on the number of users that I have on the platform. So for me, for maybe if you're talking just about the next 12 uh, to 15 uh, months, my end goal is to grow the user base from 20,000 users into 200,000 users that I have on the platform. So that is the one goal that I'm looking in short term and then obviously long term it's I, I honestly feel like this is this is a kind of a market which which is limitless because fashion never dies Fa- fashion always evolves into something new but it's always there so we're going to keep on evolving with it
1: just using your numbers from before if if you've got two hundred thousand 000 users uh, on the platform and that's your target and if you're looking at a lifetime value of $52. You're looking at around $10 million uh, of GMV per annum?
2: Uh, per, per, that would be for uh, 18 months actually. This right. would be, uh, yeah, this would be a GMV projection for 18 months.
1: Okay, so a, a GMV of around, around half a million a month in GMV? Yes. Okay. That's uh, quite quite a significant number, right? And and if you're looking at a twenty percent of that, that's uh, what 100, 100, 000, mm-hmm. right
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. That's, By the end, uh, actually, we're looking to uh, increase our order count to uh, fifty six thousand orders, and so again uh, i understand where where it seems like it's it's gonna move very fast or we feel like it's gonna move very fast but there i have i uh, data and data points and and things that we've already tried and tested to support uh the fact that i know uh if this amount of money is injected this amount of growth uh is is sure to happen and then because the, the maximum amount of growth, I know for a fact, will be in the next 12 months as well, because that is when the market is absolutely new to the idea. Um, so they'll be the most receptive towards it as well. So the maximum amount of customers that we will acquire will be in the next
0: 12 to 18 months. What is the current valuation of week?
2: So we're currently uh, valued at a 2.8 million post money valuation cap and we're, we're uh, raising our safe round.
0: And that is three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and you have already raised two hundred fifty thousand out of the three hundred fifty thousand. If
2: I'm correct, uh, we have a commitment—a commitment of one hundred fifty thousand already. A hundred thousand commitment is uh, to come uh, in the next one two weeks, and yes, then uh, we're, we'd be left with the hundred thousand.
0: Okay, so that's yeah. uh, quite far ahead in the uh, fundraising journey. And one of the questions that all angel investors like to ask is, what is the minimum ticket for them to get in on this round?
2: Uh, so the minimum ticket that I'm looking to for uh, now in this part of the round uh, is approximately fifteen to twenty thousand dollars minimum. Yeah.
0: And earlier you mentioned uh, an acquisition by up or Poshmark. So one of the other things that uh, angel investors like to ask is like, what is the potential uh, exit, right?
2: ThreadUp actually became a unicorn just last year um and poshmark is just on the verge of becoming a unicorn actually so these both these platforms are valued obviously very high and then i'm actually i went to the u.s for uh, an exchange program and i actually met the founder of poshmark over there so i'm very closely linked with him and i'm developing that relationship with him as well in case uh, you know there is any partnerships that we can look into uh, in terms of the asian market And then obviously in long term, I'm developing that relationship so that uh, once I'm looking for that exit strategy, I have that network in place to to make it all happen.
0: I think that's good good to hear. I always like it when uh, founders are already uh, in touch with similar players or someone who's already leading in the space and that makes it really interesting for for me as an angel investor, to know that this founder has already done the homework, it's already preparing for what they hope to achieve in the future, so it's very positive to hear.
1: So just out of clarification, where are you incorporated? Are you incorporated in Pakistan, Singapore, Delaware?
2: We are incorporated. Our uh, opco is in Pakistan. Uh, We are currently in the process of incorporating our whole co in Singapore. Um, Yeah, And that process would be completed by the end of this month.
1: Brilliant. All right. When are you closing your round?
2: Uh, and we're looking to close around in the next six weeks, actually, for the mid of December, actually.
0: Thank you, Saresh, for joining us for this episode of The Fullest Capitalist. We have learned about what Bizbee is doing in Pakistan in terms of the pre-loved accessories and fashion stays and how they are impacting women, bringing a positive impact to the lives of women through selling their pre-loved goods on the platform. So if you want to be part of this startup's journey, you know how to get in touch with Sarish. you know how much she's raising, and please do get in touch with her if you're looking to join her in growing this startup across Asia. Thank you for watching this particular episode of The Killers Capitalist. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and if you did, please remember to like, comment, and subscribe. We'll see you on the next episode.